The following Knowledge at Wharton podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Additional support for this podcast comes from Wharton Executive Education. For more information on Wharton's executive courses on finance, please visit executiveeducation.wharton.upenn.edu. The subprime mortgage crisis and the credit crunch that has followed in its aftermath are taking their toll on the housing market. On August 28th, the S&P Case-Shiller U.S. National Home Price Index fell 3.2% in the second quarter. According to the National Association of Realtors, the inventory of unsold homes is at a record high. As sales have fallen, many home builders have seen their stock prices drop by more than 60% during the past year. How serious is this situation? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Joseph Jerko, director of Wharton's Samuel Zell and Robert Lurie Real Estate Center, and Todd Sinai, a professor of real estate, spoke to Knowledge at Wharton about these questions and more. The S&P Case-Shiller U.S. National Home Price Index, whose latest figures were announced on August 28th, indicates that U.S. home prices fell 3.2% in the second quarter. What impact have these slowing sales had on home builders? The slowing sales are really a reflection of what's going on in the housing market and the slowing of the housing market, which is a sign that the home builders really don't have a lot of demand to build into. Um, And you can see that in their share prices. You can see that during the boom, these companies are doing very well. Uh, And then when we have a slump, uh, it dries up. And really what's going on is that in the boom, you need a lot of construction. People are moving into new uh, households or so uh, people believed. And uh, the construction increased in order to meet that that uh, supposed demand. Um, and when that demand dries up for whatever reason, and at this point it seems to be drying up for a credit crunch reason, um, then there's no one to build for. And these are companies that have two sources of, of value. One is the flow of new construction delivering housing to the market. And the other is speculating on land in the future. Uh, in an era where there's less demand and declining values of housing and land, uh, then those two assets that they have are going down. Thanks, Todd. Uh, Joe, do you have anything to add to that? Just just one point. I I think the the issue for home builders, is, as Todd noted, may not be so much price as it is the declining transactions volume. The, the, the number and velocity of sales are going down. They'd certainly like to sell their homes at higher prices, but manufact- home builders are really manufacturers. They're just manufacturers of a good called housing, and they make their money on volume to a large extent. And when volume goes down, they're hurt, and that's why their share prices are, are down. I think the, uh, if I can jump in for a second, uh, I think there are two factors that go in. Um, one is uh, the transactions that Joe just mentioned, right? They do their, they make their money on volume. But the other is if you put them in that, that manufacturing analogy, they also built up inventory. And one of the things that they've been doing is building up a tremendous amount of inventory uh, that I think they've been priced on the assumption that the inventory would sell. And what they're finding themselves is essentially with the equivalent of warehouses full of stuff uh, that's really not selling just yet. Uh, now, the good news for them is that just pure population growth means that they can sell 2 million of their inventory per year. So an overhang of three to four million uh, houses means that uh, you're looking at uh, a year's worth of 
of excess inventory at, at normal rates of acquisition, but they've they've built a lot, um, and uh, right now they're not going to be able to sell it until the credit markets turn around. One, one final point that that brings up the 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 other major loss they're having is in land value. They're having to write down the value of their land because this inventory of land they've built up, they can't put homes on it and sell those homes. So the land's worth much, much less than uh, they bought it for. And that's the other thing that is depressing their share prices. Um, <laughs> jump in one more time. I, I think it's also important to keep in mind that we tend to talk about home builders as these big national entities, and some of them are. But really, the effects on their land and their inventory of houses really depends on the markets that we're talking about. Right. Uh, really high excess markets like South Florida are markets where uh, home builders who have houses in those markets and land those markets are basically in trouble. And I don't think we've seen the bottom of that. I think it's going to go down quite a bit. And then there are other markets where it historically has been tough to build. A lot of houses were not built in those markets. Uh, in those uh, areas are not overbuilt and the land hasn't come down. Um, so for the country as a whole, I think we've we've are seeing a, a big decline. Uh, but for various cities, uh, it depends really very very much on what city you're talking about. Right. If you look at the Case Shiller indexes, which were down in aggregate over year over year, and for most cities in Seattle, they were still up year over year, and in Charlotte, they were up a decent amount. So these markets are local. Um, most are down, but but not all. So as, as both of you have said, uh, clearly the home builders have a problem. Uh, the credit supply is tight. Demand is falling. Stockpiles of unsold inventory are going up. Stock prices, their share prices are coming down. Do you find uh, any home builders that are adopting uh, innovative strategies to deal with this downturn? Uh, or if, if not, what advice would you give them? Well, I, I think... An- Different home builders have tried different things, and we don't yet know what will work because the the negative um, market effects are overwhelming almost anything anyone's doing right now. Some home builders have tried to reduce inventory by cutting prices. Others have decided they're not going to cut prices, that the market will recover relatively quickly, um, and that therefore they should just hold their inventory. I suspect the former are more right than the than the latter, but this is a really pretty severe negative effect for them, and I'm not sure there's a really great strategy out there. What I think this reminds us all of is the land market is volatile, and you better not overlever. And I think that's going to be the lesson, um, which in this cycle, which is the same lesson from the last down housing cycle, which is those who really overlevered got in serious trouble. And that uh, I think that's going to really be the case here because we have a credit crunch, not just a fall in demand for housing. So, As Joe noted, one really important point here is just we are really at the very beginning of seeing what's going on. Um, and what we're seeing in the credit markets is a repricing of risk where basically uh, initially um, – Investors were were 
pricing in their investments uh, uh, in the kind of yields that they're asking for investments were ones where they had a historically low premium uh, required for the risk that they were taking. Uh, and now the pendulum has swung much the other way because I think people really don't understand exactly how much the risk they're taking and they're sort of waiting on the sidelines to see. Uh, and I think the fortunes of the home builders in large part are going to depend a lot on quickly how quickly that pendulum swings back to the middle. Um, because so much of the value of the assets they held, the, the ability of people to buy these houses, uh, the value of the land uh, that they were putting these houses on, was so dependent on the credit market and the fact that credit was easily available, uh, means that they were highly susceptible to a tightening in the credit markets. And they get that at two ends now. One is the value of their assets, and the other is the cost of their leverage and the cost of their, their capital that they're using. And so, to Joe's point, uh, highly over-levered companies are in trouble for, for two reasons. One is the cost of their capital, their debt capital is more expensive. The other is that they can't ride out the downturn. Um, but uh, uh, it just means that they're even doubly sensitive to changes in the credit market. What are some of the, the changes that are happening then with this, the actual subprime lending uh, that are directly impacting the, the home building industry? It's radically shrinking. And I think this is a longer-term phenomenon, not just a short-term phenomenon we've seen in August where the credit market seized up. And for a couple of weeks, you couldn't get jumbo loans in the prime market. In other words, these were not credit-impaired borrowers or or whatever. These were regular people with good FICO scores and the like who, if it wasn't a a conforming loan, they couldn't get a loan for a couple of weeks. That hiccup has, I think, disappeared largely. But what you are seeing, I think, to Todd's point on the repricing of risk, is we now understand that really highly levered mortgages to people with impaired credit or very, very little equity down payment, possibly none, um, have higher default rates. They're riskier. And I think the biggest change we're seeing now is the elimination of these mortgage lending programs, particularly by non-banks. Capital One shut down its subprime unit. Lehman Brothers shut down its subprime unit. I do believe the regular banks with stable depositor bases will step in um, to this void, but it will take a while. Um, If you look at the data, the fraction of non-prime mortgages issued tripled in this last up cycle. I think it's going to basically get from below 10% to about 33%. I think it's going back to below 10%. And by the way, that would be no different than what happened in the last down cycle in terms of really highly levered loans and loans to people without sterling credit. So that market's going to shrink and it will just cost more um, to get that debt. Right now you can't get it at all almost, but that will pass. Uh, I'm not uh, quite so so bearish as, as Joe is here. I, I think the subprime portion of this of this market uh, has really is really a bit of a red herring here. I think it's a focal point that people are concentrating on. It really is a nice catchphrase for the kinds of excesses that were going on in the lending market. Uh, but I don't think it was driving home values. I don't think it was driving uh, most of the markets that we were looking at. Uh, the uh, 
It's absolutely true. I think this, the subprime lending has shut down. That's a very small sector of the market. I think it was even smaller than it looked on paper because people who could have gotten non-subprime loans in part were shifted to subprime because it looked like easy money. And so I don't think the credit markets have dried up for those people. I think it's gotten, I think it has gotten more expensive um, on a whole to borrow. Uh, but we've seen that kind of increase in expense before. Uh, I think the issue from this increase in expense has really been driven by uh, a couple of things. The first is that the whole risk of the kind of securitization structure that has driven the kind of availability of, of cheap capital uh, is being reevaluated to a degree. Uh, keep in mind that one of the things that has happened over the last decade is we've had a really quite impressive decline in the cost of capital. Uh, as really you can see reflected in the kind of interest rates that are charged. And that in part has been driven by the ability to diffuse the risk across lots of investors through securitization. Uh, and the, that kind of process has really driven the decline in interest rates. To the degree that right now people are quite you know, un unsure about that securitization process and whether the kind of risks that they thought they were taking when they were investing in those kind of products were, were really what they were getting, we're going to have a period of stepping back uh, I think we've stepped back too far. Uh, I think we will step back again to not so far rather, rather quickly. I think the last time we had a significant hiccup in these these uh, kind of credit markets, uh, those on the commercial side, was in the, you know, 1998 um, uh, with the uh, Asian debt crisis. Uh, and that was sort of a six-month disruption. And in part, I think the things that make the pendulum more prone to swinging, the things that make this market much more volatile is its integration with the world capital markets. And that is the very thing that will make it swing back relatively quickly, which is we have very sophisticated, pragmatic investors who have reduced the cost of borrowing uh, in the housing market or commercial mortgage market or whatever markets you're looking at because they were searching for yield anywhere. Uh, and they were making those markets, uh, making the capital was moving to whatever was providing the best return. Uh, after they figure out what exactly the risk-adjusted return is in this housing lending market, the capital will be there again, uh, and fairly quickly, because there will be people out there who are looking to arbitrage the rest of the world's uncertainty. And you can't do it right away. People have to figure out what's going on, uh, but I think it will come back fairly quickly. Uh, and I think this is not a a innovation that's just going to disappear. It's not what some people talk about as the disappearance of subprime and it's not going to come back. That's really not the issue. The question is, is the availability of cheap capital because we're going to let people borrow on houses through the world's capital markets rather than just from savings and loans and thrifts, and that's going to lead to cheaper lending. Is that innovation here to stay? And I think that innovation is here to stay, and we will have lower real interest rates uh, for the housing market going forward. Now, that's the, the bullish part of the story. The bearish part is, however, we've had phenomenally low interest rates. Uh, and by interest rates, I mean cost of credit. I mean, it does, it's, it's high loan to values. It's really uh, aggressive terms. It's not having to amortize the mortgage quickly or even at all. Right? All of that rolls into what I mean when I say interest rates. We've had very, very loose credit to the housing market. Uh, and we've had loose credit uh, through throughout the, the U.S. economy in whatever sector we're talking about. And to the degree that tightens, that really has a very strong negative effect on the values of housing, uh, as well as on a lot of other assets, but particularly housing. And 
a lot of the rise in house prices that we've seen over the last decade uh, and house values that we've seen over the last decade have been driven by the decline in the cost of capital. And the other side of the coin is that as that capital market tightens for housing, uh, those prices go down. And anyone who is long the housing market, meaning home builders, right, whose fortunes depend on the continuing demand for houses, a decline in demand, if it's especially if it's driven by t- tightening credit, uh, uh, is going to hurt them. Let me follow up with one point. I, I agree with Todd that the subprime market won't disappear. And I also agree with he stated it better than I did, that the real cause of the decline in the subprime share, let's call it the non-prime share um, rather than subprime, because it's not just an issue of lending to people with impaired credit. The cost of that is going to go up. I think it's going to go up quite a bit. And given that higher cost, I think there's going to be a lot less demand um, to be a homeowner from that group of potential borrowers. And I think the big reason is is because really, really high loan-to-values, 95% plus, are largely going to disappear unless it's done by a government agency like the FHA. When that happens and you have to actually put down 5 to 10% of a home, typical home will cost a quarter million dollars. 10% is 25,000, 5% is 12,500. That's going to take the typical household a couple of years at least to save for that down payment. And it is that transition period where the demand for those types of loans and to be a homeowner, I think is going to shrink considerably. And I think that's what underlies both our belief that that's the real negative force on, on home prices is that even if the lending market comes back, the new standards to get those loans will be sufficiently tighter that there will be a segment of the population that heretofore has been easily transitioning from renting to owning that won't find it so easy and they won't be able to do it on a light switch. It will take them time to amass the savings for a down payment. Uh, if I can just jump in here. I, I agree with, with Joe completely. Um, I think However, to go from the the you know, the, the high loan to value ratios for the, the young end of the spectrum uh, to really figuring out what's going to go in the housing market is is a fairly nuanced and complicated thing that's really hard to predict. Uh, and in particular, we've seen two trends over the last uh, 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 decade and a half when when interest rates have been falling. One is a increase in the home ownership rate on the young end of the spectrum of families under the age of thirty. And that uh, undoes a trend that had been there before with people getting married later and buying houses later. Uh, and I really believe, as Joe seems to believe, um, that that is due to the ability to borrow at, at higher loan-to-values. It doesn't take as long to amass a down payment. Now, how big an impact of that is really hard to tell. Uh, we have decent survey evidence that before that period, uh, people just got that money for their down payment from their families. Um, but there appears to be a correlation in the data that says uh, as, as credit has loosened, people are buying houses earlier. However, another trend is going on, which is people are staying in their houses longer as they get older. And we are entering a period where we have a large and rapid increase in the older end of the, of the spectrum. We had the baby boomers getting older. Uh, and they're not moving out the way that people had uh, uh, previously. So when you think about total housing demand, 
Well, you need to take the fact that over the next uh, year, year and a half, perhaps, we're going to see less demand from people uh, who were at the, the I needed help with the down payment end of the spectrum, but more demand from people who formerly would have moved out of their houses at a younger age, but no longer are doing it. They're staying in their houses till they're 90. And those two th- offset to a degree. And it's really hard to tell which is going to win. Uh, it probably means for at least the foreseeable future, uh, those those seniors, since there's such a large demographic, are going to do well. But you know what? They're, the, the people who are just entering home buying age are also a relatively large demographic because they're the echo boomers. Uh, and so that's very difficult to tell which is going to win out on that on that front. Don't you think it'll vary by project? I think it's like, going to this vary, is why vary it's by market. To, it's hard to generalize because yeah. of this. Some projects that home builders have that are targeting the demographic Todd's talking about. For instance, the rise in the home ownership rate among those over 75 – was very high. It was on the order of the rise of households under 45. Um, And it depends on which projects are targeted towards which demographics. They're often very, very different projects. So I, you know, I think Todd's exactly right. It's really hard to generalize, although I I think we both agree um, there's, there's been a negative demand shock to the housing market, and we're both glad we're not home builders. Yeah, there's certainly (laughs) negative relative, relative to, uh, you know, uh, a year and a half ago. But what, what uh, kind of global implications does the U.S. Uh, market have? Do you think on the the residential market? Yeah, I I think I think credit. What happens in U.S. credit markets certainly can have global effects. What happens because the Miami market is depressed, and we both think prices there are going to fall, and probably by a lot, has in Europe and Asia. I think it's minuscule to. To nothing. I think the big spillovers are from credit market problems because we are such a big part of that. And it, and it also appears that foreign investors bought a decent share of the subprime. It was not just American. But I, I don't believe in general that what happens in a local U.S. housing market has a, whole, a very big effect outside of that market. I, 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 I agree. I mean, the What's happening in the local U.S. housing markets is a reflection of something that's going on in uh, the credit market. It's, it's a symptom of something fundamentally going on in the U.S. economy. It's the uh, repricing of risk you talk repricing about. Repricing of risk. It's a tightening of credit. Now, those same fundamentals are going on in other countries as well. And so I agree with Joe completely that the risk nothing, re, the risk repricing is global. Right. That that nothing that, that none of the outcomes that we're seeing in the U.S. market that the decline in in uh, subprime lending and uh, uh, bankruptcies of a couple of companies or uh, falling home values are going to affect the European market. But the same things that are causing that to happen here uh, can happen in global markets because. In some of the markets overseas, where houses have been, uh, house prices have been growing a lot, and the housing markets have been uh, uh, going up a lot, uh, they're occurring for the same fundamental reasons that it had happened in the U.S. It's the capital markets that exactly. are integrated, not the housing markets per se. Right. I'm going to ask you both to imagine that the CEOs of the top five U.S. home builders are in the room with us right now, and they have two questions for the two of you. One is, how long am I going to go through all this pain? And what do I do in the meanwhile? What would your advice be? I, I'm not sure I know what they, they do in the, the meanwhile. But I think 
I may be a little more pessimistic than Todd here is I think the slump probably lasts into 09. Um, before the credit crunch, I had thought sometime in 08 we, we get better. I'm, I'm more worried now. Um, I, I, I don't know enough about individual home companies and the point I made earlier about less leverage is better in these markets, but there may not be anything you can do about that. Your capital structure was probably set before. I only have for the future. We just all need to remember leverage really is risky and it's risky in cyclical businesses like home building and real estate in general. We tend to get snookered by the fact that we've had a dozen years of of housing sector prosperity from 95 to 2007. That was really only a decade because it was from 95 to 2005. And our memories are short. We tend to only look back to that, that period. I think that that people who are running these home building companies their memories are not as short as as the rest of ours are. Uh, and they recognize that their industries are highly cyclical and historically have been highly cyclical because the housing market is cyclical. And as Joe mentioned earlier, they're in the production business. And when people need your product and you make it, you do well. And when people don't need your product and you can't make any more, you don't do so well. Uh, and that is a matter of life and uh, a fact of life. And whether you want to survive the downturns is purely a matter of how much leverage you take on. And uh, not purely, uh, as a, to a degree, a matter of how much leverage you take on, and that's just that's just a uh, uh, you know, a, a choice uh, uh, of how much risk to take on versus how much return to take on. You can take on more leverage and take on more risk, and also get a higher return, and you see uh, uh, when the market turns. Um, and so companies can easily have different strategies about that. And uh, I think the issues going forward is uh, really going to depend on what happens in the credit markets going forward. Uh, So Joe said that his view depended on what happened with the credit crunch uh, for the kind of softness that we'd see in the housing market. Uh, Even before the credit crunch, I thought some markets were very overpriced. I'm not a person who believes in housing market bubbles, but I am a person who believes that housing markets uh, really are fundamentally, uh, in the last decade, been... Uh, driven up in price by the availability of credit. And in some markets, it was clear that that prices were unexplainable. And so most of South Florida would fall into that that case. And even before a credit crunch, I thought house prices were were 30% overpriced there. And after the credit crunch, um, I, I think there's no place for them to go uh, but down, though you might not actually see them go down, you might just see nothing much sell, and eventually the, the, the market will catch up. But for the rest of the country, the countries that weren't quite as out of balance as places like South Florida, uh, what's going to happen? Well, the higher uh, costs of capital, the, the tighter credit, really has a disproportionate impact on what we thought of as the hot markets, the markets that were really booming before, the San Francisco's. Uh, of the world, uh, the 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 New Yorks, the Bostons, uh, the Los Angeleses, and they'll take a disproportionate hit in uh, overall uh, demand, not just from subprime, but the fact that it's going to be more expensive across the spectrum to get capital for housing. And so, depending on which market the home builder concentrates in, 
uh, they're going to see a differential impact. Uh, and then combined with that is that the markets that got the most overbuilt were the ones that weren't the hot markets, uh, the Midwestern markets. Uh, and there, again, uh, there's going to be a decline in demand from the, the higher cost of capital. So if the credit crunch gets worse, I think we see a big, even bigger impact in the housing markets and therefore even bigger impact in the home builders. It's going to be even more protracted. Um, though at some point, What's going to happen is that we were talking about the two things that home builders have, the, the value of the land that they hold and then the, the production business of building houses. The value of the land that they hold can go down quite a bit, uh, while at some point we're going to need to produce more houses just because we're not getting any fewer people. Right? we we got to keep in mind that as the credit market tightens, we're still growing the population and we're still going to need houses eventually. And that puts a cap on... Uh, the home builders not producing housing. Um, though Joe mentions that one thing that happens is the home ownership rate goes down. So some of the housing that might get produced might not be single family detached houses that these home builders are making. It might be apartments that get produced in the future um, because people can't afford to, to own their own home. But that uh, uh, is one factor that goes on. But what it means is that what happens with the Fed and what happens with the global capital markets are really going to determine this. Um, and in particular, because interest rates in the credit market has been so loose, just little bits of tightening, things that we would not have worried about a decade ago, uh, 50 basis point increases in the borrowing rate or a percentage increase in the, in the mortgage rate, really have an enormous impact on the pricing of houses and the pricing of land. Uh, and so my big fear is that the credit market is going to tighten a little, and that's going to affect the housing markets a lot, which means it's going to affect home builders a lot. Uh, and we'll just have to wait and see if that happens. If that happens, I think we have a long wait to get out of this. Uh, if the credit markets aggressively return to 2005 uh, or close to 2005 kind of, of levels, then I think this is relatively short-lived. Mukul, one other point. I, it, on your second question of what would I do if I was a home builder, assume I had a, a strong enough capital structure to to write out the downturn, I would really start thinking about how can I and my company prosper from the distress that you see out there and that is coming. There's going to be consolidation in the, in the home building and housing market. In the last down cycle, the big home builders took market share. It would not surprise me if they did it again. And I suspect they are thinking hard about those opportunities to uh, take advantage of the distress they actually see in their in their industry. That's exactly right. In the in the downturn that followed, uh, you know, the, the debacle in the thrift industry in the late '80s and early '90s, uh, there were lots of home builders who found tremendous opportunities. And in fact, it was at that time that the securitization really stepped in to bring capital back to the market. And I think uh, we might be seeing similar opportunities Well, in the, in the early 90s, the home builders that had the strongest balance sheets were able to buy the land on which they made such great profits over the last decade at very, very low rates, right. low prices. Right. And I think they're going to try to do that again. And that will be, I think, the next big play is to try to buy cheap land uh, amidst all the distress. So is there a current equivalent of the Resolution Trust Corporation where those deals are available? Or, or, I, I, or I, I don't think it will. I don't think it will come to that because I don't. The, the, the RTC got started because 
a sector of the banking industry, the thrift sector, basically um, disappeared. I don't think that's going to happen here. As I said, what you're seeing disappearing are the the subprime operations of pure capital market players without depositor bases. I think this is going to be buying from one private party to another. I, I don't right. believe you're going to see a government entity come in and, and reorganize uh, the industry, as, as it were. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks a lot for joining us. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.